Hi, this is Eddie Deason. You're listening to Breaking the Fourth Wall. I was Mandark in Dexter's Laboratory. Ha 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 ha. You are listening to Breaking the Fourth Wall on Realm of the Mist Entertainment. Today I'm joined by a very special guest, a man that I hope to be working with a little bit more here in the near future. I'm joined by Garrett Jones. How are you today, sir? I'm doing great, Ray. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic on the snowy day in New York. <laughs> you don't. Deal We've got with a that rainy much. day here in California. I was gonna say you all don't deal with that much out there in California, do you? Uh, mostly in the mountains. <laughs> uh, in fact, uh, this morning it was clear enough where. Uh, we could look over at the Sierra Nevadas and catch a good bit of snow out on the on the uh, on the mountain faces. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, I I wouldn't have guessed that you'd have snow. Yeah, well, where I live, we're about uh, two hours from the mountains, two hours from the coast, pretty much right in the middle of the state. Nice. Yeah. Wow. So you know, I've got you on here, and I'm sure. The listeners are probably thinking, well, you know, what's what's going on with this guy? What's this guy's story? What's why is he here? So we're gonna kind of jump right into this thing head first, I think, and um, just kind of talk about maybe some of the stuff that you've done recently or something that you're working on, just to get a little head start into this. Yeah, well, um, I'm a uh, I'm a fantasy author. I've independently published four books. The fourth one came out. Uh, a year ago this weekend, in fact, it came out the weekend after Thanksgiving, 2018. Um, and so I've got four books in my series, which is called the archives of a sink ran. Uh, and each book in the, in those, uh, first four titles, they, uh, cover a generation of characters. So, uh, it flows one book kind of into the next. And then after the end of book four, that's the end of that generation. I'm actually working on book five now, as we speak, uh, coming close to the end of the the drafting phase, and this book jumps ahead twenty years and picks up with the next generation of characters. Wow, that sounds pretty in depth. Yeah, I I'm I like writing um, stories that have kind of a, a a long view structure of of the story. Um, I've done some one off. Uh, you know, short stories in the past when I was doing college and uh, on my own, and none of those really work to my satisfaction. I really like getting into uh, the mythos of, of world building and the arcana that comes along with it. And um, so, like, I mean, my favorite fandoms uh, usually involve, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe or Marvel Comics in general. Um, when it comes to DC, mostly Batman and then Star Wars and Halo. And so I'm, so when you put me in there with the Arcana, you know, I'm, that's really where my brain sits and I'm able to kind of just absorb all that stuff with a sponge. A great example is um, my wife tried to challenge me uh, years ago to Star Wars Trivial Pursuit against her niece who was playing from Oregon and my sister-in-law. 
and they were actually cheating and giving each other answers. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like th I would go for like nine or 10 questions in a row without missing one. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And th th it just, it really ticked them off. I can imagine. <laughs> well, so that's awesome. I, <laughs> I'm just imagining <laughs> like three people teaming up to try and win and they're just getting so frustrated because it's not happening. <laughs> they were cheating and still losing. <laughs> right. That's great. Um, so according to your IMDB, which, you know, to all the listeners out there who want to know more, he Garrett does have an IMDB page. Uh, I see that you have uh, two of the filmography entries in here, and one of them is the Fifth Legion, and the other one is the Last Battleship. Uh, is that something you want to elaborate on, or is that... Yeah, yeah. Um, so the uh, back in probably October of 2017, I was doing a comic pop culture convention in Fresno, California. And I was approached by a convention promoter, media guy uh, based out of Modesto, uh, and, uh, uh, Joe, uh, and uh, Cahill. My yep. brain almost forgot that name. <laughs> uh, Joe uh, approached me because he knew I was a writer. Uh, he approached me about possibly writing the script for The Last Battleship. Now, he hasn't said anything to me about the Fifth Legion. I'm assuming it has something to do with either Romans in space or uh, the fifth iteration of, you know, a demon cast out by Jesus. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but The Last Battleship, and we've played with the name a little bit. Uh, uh, it's a science fiction uh military uh story uh very grounded in the in the military uh lingo that exists within uh, the the military today uh you know with the marines and the navy and and whatnot and it's about this very old battleship that was uh taken out of mothballs uh simply for a training exercise with the military academies cadets the ones that were graduating or getting prepared to graduate and taking them out full complement of marines the whole thing and what was a training experience becomes a battle for survival in a first contact scenario against a much more advanced alien uh species gotcha um and while a lot of stories like that um, usually involve uh, a deep mythos with regards to the aliens and their, in, you know, why they're attacking, stuff like that. We're not giving any of that. Uh, this is simply told specifically from the perspective of the humans on the ship. And it feels my emphasis and the way I was going about writing it was I wanted it to feel as much or as close to some of the experiences that were uh, that occurred during World War One. I'm sorry, not World War One, World War Two, um, uh, with those naval battles where um, you're thrust against an impossible enemy and it's basically just trying to get through it mm -hmm. as unscathed as possible. Um, you know, the, the the account of the Indianapolis is one of the inspirations for me as as you know the screenwriter on this. Um, I don't know how much of the history is being is is uh going through joe's head but because of his background with the military he's able to provide me some context 
that I don't have because I, I've never been in the service. Um, so for me as the writer, uh, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make something that people who are just, you know, they're casual sci-fi fans, they'll want to enjoy and watch, uh, once it's produced. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I'm also trying to make sure that it doesn't go the route of a lot of made for TV, sci-fi channel, original, uh, science fiction shows. I want to be something that could be legit. Um, I think, which is, I think the hope of most screenwriters, <laughs> Yeah. but, um, the, the other thing I'm, I'm looking at doing is making sure that those individuals who are currently in service or have been in service for the military are honored by the portrayal of the characters, even if it is, uh, you know, a far flung future. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So you're you're kind of like uh, attempting to blend two different genres here, the military with the sci-fi. Yeah, kind of, kind of. Um, I mean, I've never really had a, a, a knack for writing sci-fi. I love sci-fi. Um, I like, you know, the anything goes, anything can be explained through new technology or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, it gives you a kind of a hope for the future or a dread for what could be done if things aren't done right. Um, but it also gives me the opportunity to, uh, to kind of explore that military side because I've never written anything, uh, any, uh, anything close to uh, a military or historical fiction level. And so that was kind of my thought on this. It, it gives me an opportunity to really stretch myself as a writer. Gotcha. So speaking about that, you know, you you're obviously uh, quite the accomplished writer and working on script and whatnot. Is writing something that you just always loved, or was that something that was a more recent development? Well, it's kind of funny. Like, um, I think everything stems from my my childhood as an as a kid growing up in the '80s. Um, I was born in '82, so a lot of the toys I played with were some of the early star Wars action figures that came out, especially like after return of the Jedi. Okay. Uh, Cause yeah. I could get them for like a buck or two at, at, uh, at thrifty when thrifty was still a store <laughs> before they got bought out by Rite Aid and only became an ice cream brand. Um, but the, like I would take the action figures that I had, whatever franchise it was, and I'd kind of mix them and use them as I, I needed to. Um, mainly because I didn't have a whole lot in a particular collection. The, the toys that I had the most of were from the Kenner Mask Mobile Armored Strike Command uh, series of, of figurines and playsets. And so those characters, those figurines doubled as what they normal, what they originally were intended for. But I would incorporate them as uh, Star Wars figures or I'd incorporate them as... Um, uh, Power Rangers, because power. By the time I was, you know, in in late elementary school, Power Rangers was a thing. The toys were hard to find because of how rare they were, how expensive they were, mm -hmm. and uh, because of that, that uh, I adapted to what I had already. And and so from there, as I got older and I started really engaging in writing. Um, I, I started off with doing fan pieces uh, by middle school. I in high, early high school, I was doing fan pieces where I was writing myself into my favorite, uh, my favorite shows like um, 
you know, I, I create my, a character for myself for the Batman animated series. Oh, I create a, I create characters for myself for, you know, Power Rangers and other things that I enjoyed. And, uh, uh, and it got to the point where the creating fan fiction pieces wasn't enough for me. So the, the call it a, a passion, call it an addiction. I don't know what you want to call it, but eventually got to the point where comic book characters I had been designing from eighth grade through most of high school. I had collected all these drawings, all these backstories. And when I realized that I didn't have the artistic chops to be an artist for the comic genre, which is what I actually wanted to do, I figured, okay, I want to write, but I need a way to, of breaking into it. So I took the characters that I had, I readapted them for a medieval style uh, and re reincorporated them into what I'm writing now. Oh, wow. Huh. That's pretty creative. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, it's, it, it's just kind of how my brain works. <laughs> well, to put yourself into your own works is, you know, that's pretty creative too. Well, I, it's, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of analyzed myself in, in college and I, I kind of came to realize I had kind of a hero complex. I liked superheroes. I like, I wanted to be a hero. Um, growing up, I always wanted to be Batman. Then a friend of mine's like, you do realize that if you, ha if you're going to be Batman, you have to have dead parents. And I'm like, Oh, that sucks. <laughs> um, All right. Well, that's fair. <laughs> so I'm like, well, that doesn't work for me. Who's a superhero that doesn't have dead parents. Wait, there aren't many. No. So, so I, I, but I, I was able to, you know, take what I was experiencing and, and find a way to make it my own and, and really work with it. And I, I enjoyed it. It was, it was a lot of fun because then I, I, uh, cause there are some characters that I, I did base off of myself, uh, directly, but then as I began exploring character development, I was able to develop characters who were not anything like me at all. And it made it even more fun and even more of a, a stretch for my imagination and my ability to create legitimate characters. That's cool. I, I got to give you props. I don't have the attention span to sit there and write out a novel. Uh, so I give you props there. It, it took a while. I mean, the, the first iteration of my, on my first book, uh, I wrote that when I was in Japan uh, 18, 19 years ago. And I wrote it, I hand wrote the whole thing on a series of notebooks. And then after I came back from the States, I tried transposing it. And I came to realize as I was rereading everything that the story I had originally written was kind of crap. <laughs> um, just to put it bluntly. And so I, I took everything that I wrote I took all the like the major notes, character lists and descriptions and stuff like that, and but I took the story and I set them. I set those notebooks on fire, literally. Um, started over from scratch, and I I really streamlined what I was creating because the original adaptation had one villain against nine protagonists, and it just was not good. Okay. Um, so I kept core elements that were later incorporated into uh, different characters. And what I ended up doing is actually spread out characters um, over the course of this, of this series. Um, in fact, 
there was a character that I, I wrote in that initial adaptation uh, or iteration, and she was a, a very small, uh, uh, very low-key character, but it had some gravity for another one of the characters, from one of the major characters in the series. And that, I, it was something I had to cut when I went to go public, uh, to re- rewriting the first book. But I was able to reincorporate it into the one I'm writing now because it, it I had a much more organic way of bringing it back into the series, as well as making it a larger focal point for a character. Right on. I see. I mean, so it's not like the character was, you know, scrapped or anything. It was just moved. Moved and readapted. Um one of the things I had a, I, I've had a problem with, and I think a lot of writers struggle with this, is that we tend to write what we know. And when you are, you know, um, relatively Caucasian, um, you tend to you you without even meaning to, you have a tendency of writing characters who are very Caucasian. Um, and growing up in California, going through the California State University system uh you're kind of forced to become more aware of those limitations uh and without without purposely being a you know quote unquote woke about it (laughs) i've tried i've tried to be cognizant of those limitations and i so like one of the things i've always struggled with was writing legitimate female characters so when i was working on my upper division stuff in college at csu monterey bay one of the first major writing classes I took, um, I was a women's writing workshop because I wanted to get into that mindset. I wanted to be able to write real female characters because I can't personally get into that mindset on my own because I just, I just don't have those parts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know what it's like. I don't know how what what those experiences are like. So the best I can do is you know interview multiple women and get their perspective on things, how they would react to a certain situation and then apply that to a character. And, and I've done that. Um, but it, it's not to be politically correct or, or, you know, or to be balanced in like the equality of character representation. I, I don't really care about that for me. It's more of just making sure that the characters are real and that they're people and not caricatures. Right. And you know, I had heard that um, the the writers of Family Guy had a similar problem when trying to write Meg. They just didn't know how to write for a teenage female, and it didn't work out. Yeah, well, and which I think is what led to Meg being the 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 butt of a series of of long lasting jokes. I mean, she's the one <laughs> character everybody seems to pick on for whatever reason. Yeah. So. Uh, Kind of moving a little bit out of just the 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 author and writing part of this. I mean, it still has to do with that. But you you were saying before we started that you also did some vlog stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I I do a series of vlogs on YouTube, um, and uh, the initially it start. It, well, it's kind of funny. Like when I when I designed the website that corresponds with my series this website was just a companion site Mm -hmm. and then, and, and so to kind of share what I was working on 
with whoever was willing to read it, I started a series of blogs um, every week or so. And I, I'm really terrible about keeping blogs. Uh, it's like keeping a journal or a diary. I'm terrible at it. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't even I couldn't even do it for like my lit classes in college. Oh, I was wow. terrible. It was just like I would forget every time. Um, and so uh, so the blogs were hit and miss. I, I, I would miss some weeks. I would I would do too much the next week, uh, stuff like that. And I found that there nobody was really paying attention to it. So then I did a vlog one time and I found that my metrics on my on my website spiked substantially. And so I'm like, well. You know, this is so much easier to do. I've been wanting to do stuff with videography for a while. Uh, and so uh, about almost two years ago, I, I you know, I, I got my first iPhone. Yay. And um, I'm so glad that it came with uh, iMovie because that's how I film everything. I found a bunch of great apps for creating intro designs and and other uh visual um, inserts for the videos uh, I found a, a really killer teleprompter app and uh, so I've, I've been scripting out these vlogs every week and uh, editing them and, and learning as I go and, and then posting them to YouTube and then linking the, the YouTube to my to my vlogs and nice. so and well and so initially it was just, again, talking about what I was working on and what projects I was doing and, you know, what my updates were and how things were going and where I've been failing, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Or to, a extent, to an extent, uh, promoting any events that I was going to be at publicly. Um, and then I found a better use for it. I started really thinking about how I wanted to tool the, the vlog. And so now what I do is I actually schedule out a series of, of videos. So like at, at the beginning of the month, I start off with some updates, uh, what's going on, what I'm working on, the usual stuff. Um, and I try to keep that short and to the point because I, I don't want the series to be just about me. Uh, once a month I do a series, I do an, um, uh, author interviews with other indie authors that I've connected with through Twitter or Instagram. Um, and those usually come up the second week of the month. Third week, I do a, series, a set called uh, Creator's Corner, where I provide writing tips uh, based on my experiences and things I've learned. Um, and I, I keep my ear to the ground when it comes to the writing community on Twitter uh, to figure out, you know, where I might be able to uh, help them. And I, I really try to promote it through that that hashtag, through the writing community. That way, you know, if there's something that they're having difficulty with, whether it's writing dialogue or uh, showing versus telling or uh, character creation, stuff like that. That's where I, I will tag it and I will try to promote those videos so that they have um, a resource to go to for some advice. Okay. Um, and then the, uh, and then the four, the last segment of the month, usually I call it forming fantasy where I talk about those things that are, uh, intrinsic to the world building that I've done, whether it's a, a particular character or a location. Um, the last one of the last videos I did was on um, the different races that I have in my series. I have some of the typical uh, tropey kind of uh, 
races that you would see in most fantasy stories, but I've also taken a few and kind of pushed them on my own trajectory a little bit different from what you would normally see. Oh, that's awesome. And, that sounds yeah, really cool. Yeah, and then the, uh, the that third segment, though, the Creator's Corner, actually back in at the beginning of October spawned uh, a podcast. Uh, so the podcast is also called Creator's Corner, and uh, what I do with that is I, I've been I've been doing a series called Writing Is, and it's kind of the philosophy of writing, and uh, I'm breaking it down into three major sections. October covered the uh, writing is planning phase, uh, so I, I break it down right uh, the planning, planting, and pruning. Because the first episode of the podcast was talking about how writing is a lot like gardening. Oh. And so and so most of October covered the the planning phase. Now I'm in the planting phase where I'm talking about the actual writing process uh, and how, how that plays out. That's cool. I'm going to yep. definitely check that one out. And where can people find that at? Is that on everywhere or just on Anchor? Or? Um, so the 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 podcast is on anchor and anchor automatically goes to Spotify. Mm -hmm. uh, but you can find it on, uh, on, uh, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, breaker. Um, and there's a, there's a bunch that are listed now. I think there's like nine different platforms. Right. <laughs> yeah. There's quite um, yeah. And so and it was funny is, uh, before I even got the alert that, uh, the podcast was now streaming on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it, I actually, I actually got that notification like a week after it actually started showing up on Apple. So oh. I'm like, way to be right on it, Anchor. Yeah, surprise. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so a lot of, so my goal isn't so much to just promote myself, like especially with the, the, the podcast, the podcast is more to be supportive and to encourage writers who are needing that. And so I, I keep the, the episodes about 30 to 40 minutes at length tops. Um, and one of the, one of the major podcasts that I want to deal with, and I do make sure that the monthly segments of the vlog correspond with the podcast is I did one last month in, in November on, uh, on, uh, the imposter syndrome and, you know, how to, how to battle against it and, and not give into those feelings of, of, uh, failure and feeling like a fraud. Wow. See, I think that it's stuff like that, that people really do need to hear. That's very inspirational and that's a very noble undertaking that you've, you've decided to do. So I give you props and kudos on that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So as we round the corner to the end of the show here, I would just like to take these last few minutes to have you say, if you want to, you don't have to, where people can, I mean, we kind of talked about where to go for the podcast and YouTube for your vlog, but is there anywhere else that people can follow your stuff? Like, do you have any particular pages on Facebook or Instagram that you want to put the name out there? Yeah. So as far as social media goes, um, Instagram and Twitter are going to be the same. It's GKJ underscore publishing. Um, and uh, you can find me on both platforms using that handle. Um, 
and then um as far as I, my website is archives of the five kingdoms.com five is spelled out. So it's, you know, it's all one word, no numbers mm-hmm. archives of the five kingdoms.com uh, where you can find, you can actually find my podcast there. You can find the vlogs there as well as, you know, YouTube or some of the other podcast platforms. Oh, okay. um, and then the site actually works as a companion site for the books. So if people do buy the books, which are all available on Amazon, uh, you can do a search for Garrett K. Jones, uh, two R's, two T's. Um, uh, the books, at the the website has an archive section which has character profiles, uh, the location descriptions, a history timeline, uh, maps for following the stories, as well as pronunciation guides for each book that go chapter by chapter and are in alphabetical order. Nice. That's the way to do it right there, because I can't tell you how many times I've read a story. I'm like, I don't know how to pronounce that, so I'm just going to go with what it sounds right to me. And it ends up being the complete opposite. Yeah. Well, I got really annoyed as a reader. Um, like I, When I read through uh, Christopher Paolini's Inheritance Cycle, the, the, the Aragon series, mm-hmm. I got really annoyed jumping back and forth because the map was on the front cover or un, on the front insert. And then the the pronunciation guy was all the way at the back of the book, and I'm having I'm having to flip back and forth, to make sure I'm understanding and, and defining things correctly, and I would lose my place, and that oh. just annoys me. So I figured creating that content for free digitally, and having it available like that would make it so much easier. Because then you've got people who might be reading on a Kindle, but then they can go into their browser. And they can pull up that site and they can look at it and be like, okay. And then hop back to the, the last app they were in with, you know, Kindle or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or if they're listening to it, uh, if they're, oh, I don't have an audiobook yet. That's in the process. Oh, but okay. if, they, if they were, they'd be able to pull it up while listening to the audiobook. Or if they've actually got the paperback copy, again, it's there, it's digital. They don't have to lose their place because they had to go to the back of the book. Gotcha. Dang. You thought it all out, didn't you? <laughs> um, I try to be a, as forward-thinking on that as possible. It, it's I, I really wanted to make it as multimedia as possible without, without going overboard. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I just want to say real quick before we uh, wrap things up, thank you so much for coming on the show. You've been a great guest. You're very enthusiastic, very likable. Your stuff sounds great. I'm going to definitely go check all that out, and I encourage the listeners to as well. Awesome. Um, I'd like to be able to uh, cross-promote uh, uh, this interview as well uh, on my podcast and my vlog. Uh, where can I find this podcast and so that I can uh, you know, promote yeah. it properly? Uh, so you know, for myself, um, you can find – uh, the Leo effects on Anchor, Spotify, all that good stuff. It goes out to all those. I I primarily use Anchor, but it does all the dirty work for me. Um, yep. But then you can also do the same thing with another show called Breaking the Fourth Wall. And that one goes out to a whole bunch of places. Um, you can find that one. You actually, you can find both on Facebook. You just put that in the search. Leo, The Leo effects or breaking the fourth wall and it'll take you to the interviews and breaking the fourth wall actually will connect you to a whole bunch of our other stuff that we do as far as tabletop gaming and things like that rock on so 
thanks once again, Garrett. I appreciate you coming out. And uh, thanks to all the listeners for checking this out and sticking with us. And I hope you learned something, enjoyed something, and you go check everything out. We will see you all next time.